One of the key things that needs regular attention if we're going to stay fresh in our relationship with God and others is joy. Today, we'll be learning how to get and keep joy in our lives. This message is the 11th in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Joy. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to, yes, the last message in the Fresh series. Yes, we finally made it to the final message. Isn't that amazing? Somebody say amen. Somebody say hallelujah. You didn't think we're going to make it, did you? We did. We made it to the last message, number 11 in the series. We're talking today about fresh joy in our lives. This whole series has been about maintaining freshness in our walk with God, learning how to be fresh in our relationship with Him. My desire is to stay fresh with God my whole life. I don't want in any way to grow stale in my journey with God. I want to make sure that ever how old I become before I meet Jesus and go to be with Him, I want to make sure that I maintain freshness all the days of my life, that I'm producing fruit as I go through my journey with Christ. Amen? That's our desire. And so there are things, if you're going to stay fresh, there are things you have to do. It doesn't, doesn't happen automatically. There are choices you have to make. There are steps you have to take if you're going to maintain this fresh spirit in your life. We've talked about a number of these today. As I said, we're talking about fresh joy. And I want today to present to you really what the Bible says to us about joy. Because the Bible is our source book. It is the book that tells us how to define very important terms and how to live them out in our lives. And so our focus today is not on just the psychology of joy or the experience of joy. All those things have their validity. But what I want to bring your attention to today is the primary focus of what the Bible teaches us about joy. And so I'm going to present to you nine things today that you need to know about joy from the Bible perspective so that your joy can remain fresh. The first thing that I want you to understand today is that joy, according to the Bible, is very different from another word that we're familiar with, and that's happiness. So I want to talk about two words, joy and happiness. A lot of times when we talk about joy, we think of joy as being a sort of this giddy sort of experience we have and emotions are overflowing and you say, well, what's going on? I just feel so much joy. Well, really, according to the Bible, that's not real joy. Real joy is something I'll define a bit more clearly in a moment. Before I talk about joy, let me talk about happiness because we confuse those two terms. The word happiness, is it comes from an original root word and the root word is hap. And the word hap was used to define or describe events that would transpire in a person's life. Generally, in its ancient understanding, the ancient understanding of the word hap, it was really to define what we would consider to be lucky circumstance. Oh, you're so lucky that that happened to you. And so this act of luck, quote luck, that happened to you, that made you feel something good on the inside, the hap brought you happiness. So now we understand it with this word, happening. If the happenings in your life are everything you want your happenings to be, then what do you feel? You feel happiness, right? And so happiness is very much determined by the externals of your life. You only feel happy when good things are happening, okay? 
And so the Bible changes this up for us and helps us to understand that, that, that joy is something that's very different from happiness because joy is not based upon external. Joy is something that happens to us internally. It is an inter- internal experience, irregardless of what might be happening to us externally. Probably the greatest example of this in the Bible is actually in the book of Philippians. Let me tell you a little bit about that book. It was a book that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's one of his prison letters or prison epistles. He wrote it while he was in Rome, in the Roman prison, the Mamertine prison in Rome. It was a horrible place to be, and for any, any, any person with any kind of awareness of circumstances, you would say, hey, this was not a good place to have life happening to you. It was a bad set of happenings. Paul is in prison. He's got guards chained to him 24 hours a day, one to his right, one to his left. His freedom has been removed for, from him. He's there because of preaching the gospel, so he's not done anything wrong. He's been falsely accused. So there he is suffering in the Roman prison, and while he's there, he does a lot of constructive things. You know, you can do constructive things in the midst of destructive circumstances. And so here he is in these, what would seem to be destructive circumstances, difficult circumstances, and he chooses to do some very constructive things. And one of the things he does is he writes a letter to the church at a place called Philippi. Philippi was a Macedonian city, and he writes them a very short letter, four chapters, the book of Philippians in in your New Testament. And this letter is so filled up with joy that it actually, over the time of history, comes to be known as the letter of joy, Paul's epistle or Paul's letter of joy to the church at Philippi. Now, let me ask you a question. Were the happenings in Paul's life positive at the moment he wrote this? No. But nevertheless, in some of the most difficult circumstances of his life, he was able to write an entire letter filled up with joy, 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 rejoice, 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 all these words. Why? Because he wasn't living his life on the basis of happiness. He was living his life on the basis of something very different. It was an internal joy that he had. And so please mark the difference today in your heart and mind that joy is different from happiness. You can be joyful even when good things aren't happening in your life. Isn't that good news today? You can be joyful. If you've got terrible circumstances today, you can still be joyful. Number two, second thing to know about joy is that joy is linked to Jesus. Joy is linked to Jesus. Joy has a source. Happiness has a source, doesn't it? What's the source of happiness? Good Happenings, okay? And so you feel happy as long as good happenings. Well, joy, internal joy has a source as well. And that internal joy is none other than Jesus in you. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is your source of joy. Now, the important, the thing to note here that's very important is that this happiness that we're talking about, yes, it's external, but it's also natural. Anybody can feel happy. You don't have to know Jesus to feel happy, right? You all with me today? Even before you met Christ, did you have some happy moments? Yeah. They have things called happy hour, okay? Right? I've never been to one. I don't know exactly what they do. But you see them on signs, you drive by, it says happy hour. I'm assuming that people are happy there, okay? So there's happiness without Jesus. Don't ever tell anybody that you can't be happy without Jesus. Yes, you can. 
I see it all the time. Happy hour. People have hours that are happy. Okay? But let me tell you something else. You can't have joy without Jesus. Okay? You can have happiness without Jesus, but you can't have joy without Jesus because happiness is natural. Joy is supernatural. How do you have joy when bad things are happening, you still have this internal sense of well-being. The only way that can, can happen is something supernatural is going on, right? And so joy is related to Jesus. Let's take a look at the Bible that speaks of this. John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus' words, I have told you this so that my joy may be what? Circle those two words. Where? in you, and that your joy may be complete. John 16, 24. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Notice the internal resource there. Acts 16, verse 34. It's Paul ministering to the Philippian jailer and introducing him to Christ. Then the jailer brought Paul, that's Paul and Silas, them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because, because he had come to believe in God. Circle that phrase. Where did he find his joy? It came from a relationship, a belief in God, he and his whole family. Read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 with me together. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Jesus Christ is your joy. Him in you is your joy. Let's go to the third point. Joy is activated, it's put into motion in your life, by praise, thanksgiving, and worship. Let me let you write that down. Take, take a moment and get it into your mind. I want to talk about those elements for a bit. Joy is activated, that's the key word, by praise, thanksgiving, and worship. Now, if you know Jesus Christ, is Jesus present in you? Absolutely. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, as I mentioned a moment ago, is your hope of glory. So Christ lives in you. However, the reality is that even though Christ is in us, we don't always live in His joy, right? Have there ever been some down days in your life, right? You knew you knew Jesus, you knew you knew you knew Jesus. He was in your heart, but you weren't experiencing the joy that you wanted to experience by the reality of Christ being in you. You're with me on this, right? Why? Because joy, even though Jesus is in you, joy is in you, joy has to be activated. It has to be stirred up. And one of the best ways for you to stir up joy, for you to get your joy going, is for you to, to take time to give thanksgiving to God and worship and praise to God. Because when you do that, you're stirring up Jesus. You're stirring up, if you will, the joy of Christ in your heart. See, that's why when you're down, the best thing you can do is focus on your blessings. When you start thinking about what you have instead of what you don't have and worshiping God for what you have instead of what you feel like you're missing, you're, you're moving into a realm called thanksgiving. When you start 
giving thanks and focusing on blessing, then your joy begins to rise. When you get your eyes off yourself and you begin to worship and magnify God and lift Him up and honor Him, again, your eyes are off of your circumstances, your natural things, and your eyes are placed on who God is, and joy is able to rise up in your life. And so part of the reason why many of us suffer with a lack of joy is because we haven't learned the secrets of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. If you become a thanksgiving person, a person of thanks, if you become a person of worship, if you become a person of praise, I guarantee you'll become more of a person of joy. Because praise, thanksgiving, and worship activates joy in you. Psalm 9, verse 2, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Notice that gladness is connected to rejoicing and praise. Psalm 40, verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. So when you're going through stuff, if you get out of your realm and start saying, God, I exalt you, I exalt you, it lifts the praise quotient or the joy quotient in your life. Psalm 126 verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. Can we stop for a moment and say, yes, that's true for me. The Lord has done great things for us. Notice the rest of it, and, and we are filled with when you focus on the great thing, God, things God has done for you, what are you going to be filled with? Joy. Philippians 4, verse 4, that little book I talked about a moment ago, the letter of joy. Notice what Paul says in the fourth chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. What? Rejoice. Why did Paul tell these Christian believers and tell us by the Holy Spirit? Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Says, Put your praise on all the time. Be a person of thanksgiving and worship all the time. Why? Because that is your key to activating, to stirring up what? Joy. He learned it in his own life. Number four, joy is affected by our vision and view of God, ourselves, life, and others. We talked about joy being activated by praise and worship, thanksgiving. It is also affected by some other things in life. One of the things that will affect your joy is how you view, how you look at God, how you look at yourself how you look at other people, how you look at life, the lens through which you view all of these things, God, yourself, other people, life, affects your joy. I wear glasses. In the old day, old days, they call these spectacles, right? Anybody remember that phrase, spectacles? Maybe some of you reading, you, you came across that term, you know, spectacles. That, that was the old term for this because when you put on spectacles, it affects your per perspective, right? And your perspective is adjusted by your spectacles. And what I want you to know is that in all of your lives, you are wearing spectacles. It's called your attitude about life. It's your perspective. It's the how you look at things. And everybody chooses to look at things through their frame of reference and their world. And by the way, sometimes the way you're looking at things just isn't right. Did you know, have you ever found yourself before you looked at something, you thought you had the bead on it, and you found out later you weren't even thinking about it the right way? And when you changed your view, you changed your perspective, you changed the way you viewed things, your emotions changed as well. Because your view, your vision affects your emotions. 
By the way, as we, I'm talking a lot here today about your thinking, perspective is your thinking. And in and, and January and February of this new year, 2014, I'm actually preparing a series of messages right now where I'm going to talk to you for about, uh, I don't know how many weeks, we'll see how it goes, okay, uh, about thinking, your thinking, because most of your battles in your, are in your mind. The Bible says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, okay? And so I'm extremely pumped up about a whole series we're going to do about how to change your mind, how to change your thinking, because if you can change your thinking, you can change your life. And I've got to stop there or I'll start preaching messages right now. I don't want to do that. I want to save something for later. But your view, if you think of God as being angry at you all the time, as being kind of a withholding God, and your view of God is negative, what will, be, what will happen inside of you? It will rob you of joy. If you walk around thinking that everybody's mad at you, you don't like anybody, and everybody's frustrated with you, or you're frustrated with them, where will your joy go? It'll dissipate. You'll, you'll never have it. And so you have to adjust the way that you think, the way that you view other people. I want to take you to, to an example from Paul's life again, because I think it's a great example. Paul went through all kind of horrendous things. I'd encourage you to just read from time to time just events in Paul's life, because Paul didn't have it easy. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about some of the pressures that were on him, some of the problems he encountered in the ministry, some of the persecutions he experienced. And there was so much stuff going on in Paul's life, he would have had every reason in the world to be discouraged. But Paul said, the way I maintained my, my joy is I kept my perspective where it needed to be. I kept viewing things the right way. I would not let my mind go places it shouldn't go. And I want to read for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I want you to hear Paul's perspective. I want you to see how he viewed life, how he viewed God, how he viewed his own experience. Therefore, that is, after all these things I've described to you, all the things we're going through, the tough times, the pressures, the persecutions, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Now, notice his perspective. This is incredible. He's going through all kind of hardships, difficult times. And notice what he says. For our light and momentary troubles. Paul, you've got to be kidding. These don't seem very light to me. But he says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, all this stuff I'm going through, the challenges I'm facing, you know what? It's really not about these things. It's about what it's doing in me and what it's causing my life to experience for eternal glory. And all of that outweighs what I'm going through here. And then notice verse 18. So we fix our, our view, our perspective. We, we set our vision, we fix our vision, our eyes, not on what is seen, not on the circumstances, not on what is happening in our lives. We set our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Who is that? Jesus, the one who's working in us. And he goes on to say, uh, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He has this incredible way of shifting his perspective from the seen, the happenings, the circumstances, to the unseen, that is God's work in his life, and that's how he maintained his joy. It works for Jesus also. Jesus had to maintain his vision. He had to maintain the right perspective. When he was going to the cross, would you agree with me that the cross was not a pleasant thing to experience? 
Let somebody nail you to one. All the derision he's going to experience, all the tough stuff that's coming his way, and he's thinking about going to the cross in his humanity, he did not want to do this. How do we know he didn't want to do it? Because he prays the night before he's crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He prayed it three times. He didn't want, in his, if you will, his physical being to have to go through this kind of suffering but he also backed that up with nevertheless not my will but yours be done and three times he affirmed that how could Jesus make it through the cross we find out in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 let us fix our our what our view our eyes our vision on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set where before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You've got to get this. How did Jesus get through the cross? He looked beyond the cross to what the cross was going to accomplish. He said, yes, this is difficult. Yes, this is hard. But, but I have a joy that is beyond this moment. Yes, it hurts right now, but I'm going to get past this cross thing. There is going to be a resurrection. And he looked past the cross, and he saw you and you and you and each one of us here and the salvation that could come to our lives. He said, you know what? It's going to be worth it to endure it because there's joy ahead of it. I can endure because I can see past what I'm going through right now. Folks, anytime you can see past what you're going through right now, now there's something greater it'll keep your joy for the joy set before him it was before it was before his eyes it was a vision that he kept in front of him number five joy is connected to obedience if you want to have joy in your life you have to learn to obey now, when I talk about obedience here, I'm talking about obedience to the Word of God. The Word of God is the Word of guidance for our life instruction. It's the Word of authority for our life. It's the, it's the book that is to guide us. And you can't expect to walk in disobedience to the book, the Bible, and at the same time expect to have joy in your life. It just doesn't work. You might sustain things for a while, but... Over a period, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard, okay? When you start transgressing the Word of God, you start in that word transgress, think of trespass, okay? When you step across boundaries that you should not be in, then you are transgressing. And so God has given us the boundaries in which to live life. It's called His Word, not to in any way rob us of joy. See, a lot of people think, well, if I live the Bible, I'll never have joy. No, no, no. It's actually the opposite. If you live according to this book, you will have joy. If you live outside the boundaries of this book, you're going to miss joy because the way of the transgressor is hard. When you trespass the boundaries of this book, you're going to experience hardness in your life. The psalmist David made this declaration. He went through all kinds of things in his life, good times, bad times, obedience, disobedience, and he came to a, 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 a conclusion about his life in Psalm 40, verse number 8. Listen to what he said. He said, here's the conclusion I've come to. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. David said, I have learned how to maintain joy. I've learned how to stay in a position of, what's the word there? 
delight. I've learned how to stay in this place of delight. That's joy. I've learned that I, I stay there by living in the context of your will. Jesus gave us lots of teachings while he was on the earth, and uh, one of his greatest teachings, sort of summarizing a lot of his perspective of the character of the kingdom and uh, how we are to relate to him, is found in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not familiar with it in your Bibles, the best place, I believe, to read the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I think it's something that every Christian ought to go back and read at least once a month or so just to reflect, because it's really very, very concise uh, instruction by Jesus. In fact, I need to do another series at some point in time on the Sermon on the Mount uh, for all of us to benefit from. But Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and the Sermon on the Mount is called that because he gave it from the Mount of Beatitudes. It was up on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we're actually in Israel. I've been there several times and actually taught from uh, very near proximity to where Jesus would have been. And by the way, next year, October of next year, we're going to Israel again. If you'd like to go with us, just sort of keep that in the frame of mind. Start saving your money now and plan for that trip. It's going to be a great trip together. It'll change your life. But Jesus taught from the mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee and he gave us the Sermon on the Mount and the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes all begin with a word called blessed. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Eight times blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for blessing is the word makarios. And that word refers to to a sense of divine favor or blessing, yes, but a sense of being favored, divine favor or being favored. It has the idea of something that is internal. It relates to the concept of joy. And Jesus said, you're going to have joy. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's saying if you live in obedience to my commands, then you're going to have what kind of a life? A makarios or a blessed life. And a blessed life is not about what you have externally, but a blessed life is what you have on the inside. Right? You're blessed internally. And so we find that, in fact, obedience is one of the contributing factors to the maintenance of joy. Number six, joy is a byproduct of biblical contentment. It is a byproduct of biblical contentment. One of the least understood concepts of the Bible, I believe, is contentment. And contentment, according to Scripture, is is a key to joy. Paul talks about this as well in Philippians chapter 4, this book of joy, verses 11 and 12. He's not, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned, notice what he says, I have learned, it's been an education process, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, wow, that's powerful, isn't it? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, again, it's an education process, I have learned the secret of being, what's the word there? Say it with me again, everybody. What? Content. you got to get this. I've learned the secret of being content in the situations that I like. doesn't say that, does it? I've learned the secret of being content in, notice what it says, in any and 
every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul said, I've learned this secret. I'm writing this book of joy to you. Let me give you the secret of joy. I've learned to be content in any and every situation of life. I'll tell you something. You can't take joy away from someone like that. You just can't take it away from them. He writes to Timothy these words, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Do you realize that when you came into the world, you didn't bring anything with you? You were born buck naked. You didn't bring a wallet with you. You didn't bring car keys with you. You didn't bring jewelry with you. You didn't bring a financial portfolio with you when you came into the world. Hi, Mom, here's my folio. You came into the world with nothing. And when you go out, they will put some kind of clothes on you, but it will not matter. Because you can't take it with you. We say it all the time. And so the Bible says if you've got food and clothing, learn the secret of being content with that. I'm going to define contentment in a moment. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. It doesn't say that money is wrong. It says the love of money is wrong. And, and be content, it says, with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So what is contentment? Contentment is an inner satisfaction. Contentment, let me tell you what it's not also. Contentment is not passive complacency. Contentment is saying, you know what? I'm going to accept and appreciate what I have right now and I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. Whatever I have right now, I'm going to thank God for it. I'm going to worship Him and be grateful for it. So if I've got a 1975 Ford and that's all I've got to drive, thank God I've got one. Amen? It doesn't mean I've got to drive it for the rest of my life. Okay? I'm accepting what's there. I'm appreciative of what's there. But I want to do the best I can with what I have so that my lot in life is continuing to move forward and increase in a positive way based upon what we talked about last week. God says, I gave you something. Now do something with what I gave you. So none of these principles are in conflict. See, they're, not in con- they're, they're tensions that you have to manage in your life. But, sa- but contentment is a satisfaction to be appreciative and accepting of what you have while continuing to work to make the most of what you have. You got that? Very important. Next thing. Number seven. Joy is a product of faithfulness and a promised eternal reward to those who practice it. It's it's a product of faithfulness. If you're faithful, you'll have joy. And it's a promised eternal reward to those who practice faithfulness. I don't need to take long with this one because we actually talked about it a lot last weekend when I talked about the, the, the freshness of faithfulness in your life. The story of the, 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 the talents, one man being given five talents, one, two, another one. The man with five multiplied his, doubled his. The man with two doubled his. The man with one did nothing with his. What was, what was the words of the master back to the two that doubled theirs? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little bit. I'm going to give you more. Now enter into the joy of your master. You see that when you're faithful, it produces joy. Number eight, joy energizes us. It energizes us. Joy is essential if you want to do God's work. So if you want to be a minister in any way, 
I'm not talking about somebody that necessarily stands up and preaches, but if you want to be an effective servant of God, how many of you want to be an effective servant of God? Amen? You want to be? Okay. Well, guess what? You've got to learn something about joy. If you don't learn something about joy, you will never be effective in the kingdom of God. Because the Bible says, it gives us an instruction, a command, Psalm 100, verse number 2, serve the Lord with, not madness, not sadness, but serve the Lord with, glad. it is a command, if you're going to serve God, you have to learn how to be glad, serve the Lord with gladness, come before Him with His presence with singing. Why do we serve God with gladness? Because we are privileged to get to serve God. I don't have to be your pastor. I'm privileged to be your pastor. You don't have to be an usher, or you don't have to be a greeter. You don't have to work in the nursery. You don't have to work in the children's ministry. You don't have to work in the parking lot. You don't have to do something in church. No, you get to. It's a privilege. So when you begin to gain that perspective of saying, you know what, I am honored to be able to serve in God's house. He would allow me to be in His house doing something for His kingdom. I am so glad to be able to serve God. I will serve Him with what? Gladness. I will honor Him with the gifts of my life. I will serve Him with gladness. Joy is also essential to long-term strength and endurance after the building of the wall as Nehemiah led them 52 days in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, notice what he said to them. They're tired, they're worn out, they're weary. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The day, this day is sacred to, to, to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. What will keep you strong going through tough times? What will keep you moving forward? What? The joy of the Lord. It energizes you. Last thing as we're wrapping up. Joy is one, is one way we show Jesus to other people. Joy is one of those ways we show Jesus to other people. As a Christian, if you, if you name the name of Christ, you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, understand something, you are a representative of Jesus to other people. That's just the bottom line. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Every one of you, you're an ambassador. You are a representative of Jesus. Now, just because you're a representative doesn't make you a good representative. You can be a representative that's not so good. You can be a negative representative. You can be a bad representative. But you have to make the choice of what kind of representative of Christ you're going to be. One of the greatest things that will allow you to represent Christ in a good way to others is joy coming from your life because strong joy coming from your life attracts people to Jesus. See, if you're as miserable as everybody else around you, guess what? You you have no witness, you have no testimony to the world to say, you know what, I've met Jesus and Christ in me is my joy. And so part of what you want to learn is how to activate joy in your life because it's critical to your testimony. It's critical to your, what we often call your witness, okay? And a witness really is the story you're telling to other people about who Jesus is in your life. So you are witnessing, you're testifying by the way you live your life, by the words that you speak. And so you want to have joy emanating from you so that other people will be attracted not to you, but attracted to who? To Jesus in you, right? Right? Now, let me take you to Psalm chapter 40. We're we're sort of wrapping up today. And I want you to see how the psalmist described this, the first part of chapter 40, verse 1. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And so he says, I was a time, I was going through a tough time. I was crying out. I was in pain. And I cried out to the Lord, waiting on him. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. The psalmist said, I was hurting, I was crying out to God, and God came down and He saved me. He reached down in the mud and the mire, and He grabbed hold of me, grimy and all messed up with mud, and He pulled me up out of the mud and mire, and He set my feet upon a rock. You don't have to raise your hand on this if you don't want to, but I will encourage you to do so if you'd like to. How many of you would say today, there's been a, there was a time in my life when I was down in the mud and the mire and I cried out and God came along and pulled me up out of my mud and mire. Come on, give him praise this morning. Lift that hand and say, yeah, that was me. Okay. You've got to remember where you came from. You've got to remember what your life used to be. You've got to remember. See, if you're going to be a witness, you can't be a witness unless you've got a reminder of the B.C. before Christ and the A.D. after Christ. There's a difference in your life. He came down. He reached down inside your life, and he grabbed a hold of you. You were crying out for help, and he reached and said, I'm going to pull you up out of the mud and the mire. I'm going to set your feet on a rock. I'm going to give you a firm place to stand. And then the psalmist said, let me tell you what happened when he did that. When he did that, he put a song in my life. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in, in the Lord. He says, when he reached down, and he got a hold of me, and he cleaned me up, and he put me on the rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. I've got a new song to sing that I never had before. I've got worship to, exa to exalt him like I never could before. And by the way, I'm going to keep singing my hymn of praise. I'm going to keep activating my joy and many people will see it and they will put their trust in God and fear. Why? Because I'm putting Jesus front and foremost in my life and when they look at me, I want them to see somebody who's been redeemed by the power of God. And that's what our world needs today. Our world needs to see people who can say, you know what, I used to be right where you are. I was at a place where I was in the mud and mire, but I want to tell you, I serve a Jesus who's able to pull you up and clean you up. He's able to pull you up and set your feet on a rock where you felt so insecure. He's able to bring security to your life. And when he does that, he'll give you a song to sing and a witness to declare to the world around you. Are you with me? I'm going to. See, we're talking about joy here. And my prayer for you today is that you will be filled with J-O-Y. Because the world, listen to me, the world can have this. But the world can't have this. The world can live this way in the natural. But to have joy, something supernatural has to happen in their lives. And you and me, we are the link to other people that will draw them to the relationship they need to experience the joy they're longing for in their life. Amen? Amen? Now, here's my prayer for you. It's found in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I want you to receive this as a prayer. If you'd like to simply bow your heads, you can read it, with, you can read it as I'm reading along, whatever you'd like to do, but I want these words to settle deeply in your heart today. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
continue to live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Why do we overflow with thankfulness and need to overflow with thankfulness? Because thankfulness activates what? Joy. Father, I pray for your word today to settle into our lives. I pray that you would help us to not live on the basis of the natural happenings. But Lord, help us to lean in to Jesus in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the source of joy. I pray that we would be people of thanksgiving and worship and praise. And Lord, we would have our view and perspective of you as we need to and of others, of ourselves. And God, I pray that we would also bear witness to the world around us that you are real, that you're alive, that you are transformational power. Let that message come clearly through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.